Hello, one and all, and welcome to the podcast we call The Fantastical, with myself, Stephen Espound, in the podcast where I invite my guests to come on, talk to me all about their musical tastes and experiences whilst collating their fantasy festivals, which I have christened Fantastivals. This is now episode number 58 as we head on towards our Super 60s. I must say, before we get cracking with this one, a massive thank you to Tara Lynch for coming on in episode 57, joining me all the way from the States. Her album, if you've not heard it yet, Evil Nub, is available on all good streaming platforms. A great album, very metally, some awesome riffs going through it. So if you haven't listened to that episode or her album, go and check out Tara Lynch for sure. So let me introduce now the guest on the 58th episode of the Fantastical Podcast. And I'm delighted to say joining me, I've got a very talented singer-songwriter from the Midlands. And to be fair, I've been listening to his album most of this week. It is fantastic. It's one of my albums of the year so far. So ladies and gentlemen, it's Mr. Sam Lambeth. Thanks very much for having me on. Uh, it means a lot. And thanks for the kind words about the record too. Mate, a fantastic album that I'm sure we'll come on to uh, later in the podcast. So I always like to check in with my guests. It's been a very difficult 16, 17 months now. We're almost at the back end of it, um, hopefully now. Sam, how, how have the last couple of months been for you? It's all been really good for me. Um, again, you know, I feel bad saying that because of how difficult it has been for so many people and, uh, you know, particularly for musicians and promoters and music venues and things like that. And um, I can't begin to imagine how tough it would have been for all of those people. But um, for me personally, I- I've been very lucky and it's been a really fertile time for me because before the lockdown hits, I wasn't actually really making music actively at that point i'd kind of i went on a sabbatical in the summer of 2019 and um i didn't really harbor any intentions of coming back really i was still writing songs and i was still working on them at home just for fun and just because uh, you never really switch off from from songwriting really but then when lockdown happened all of a sudden i i was given all this free time and um given a lot of time to reflect i think on what what i like to do and what makes me happy and uh it kind of threw into focus that making music is kind of what drives me and gives me gives me an identity and um I use that time to sort of kind of finesse the songs I had, go into the studio and record them and and come back as a solo artist. So would it have happened with lock without lockdown? I'm not sure, maybe, but it wouldn't have happened as quick. So yeah, for me lockdown was um kind of like a, a real turning point really for me you know musically and personally you mentioned making the album so i guess let's talk about that now i mentioned it in my intro the album's called love and exile it's available on all good streaming platforms i'm presuming so in my head when yep. i'm listening to you sam i'm hearing counting crows i'm hearing some petty i really hear the Lemonheads in my favorite song on the album which is the <laughs> second track so tell us a bit about the album then you know give it give it a good plug yeah, well, I'm sure that you um, kind of identified those bands, really, because they were definitely artists that I was influenced by. I guess, for me, the great thing about going into the studio with kind of no bands, no plan, no social media presences, nothing, was that I just I went in with, with no rules, really. I kind of said to myself, whatever the song needs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Uh, so, you know, in the past, when I'd go into studios with the bands I was in, we'd obviously deliberate over whether we could recreate certain sounds live. So, you know, for example, piano and stuff like that. If we hadn't got a piano player, we'd be like, 
well, it's best we don't put piano on it then because, you know, we want to be able to recreate the sound live. But this time there was none of that. So there was no limitations for me. You know, whatever sounded good, it was going on. And, um, you know, I learned mandolin, I learned harmonica over lockdown and kind of used those instruments just to just to garnish it, I suppose. And then um, I did write some piano parts, but... Um, I'm not the best keyboard player, to be honest. I mean, my keyboard at home has got um, every key has got the the uh, the letter written in sharpie, so I know exactly mm-hmm. where I'm hitting. So I didn't trust myself to lay it down in the studio. So uh, a friend of mine called Zoe, she she not only kind of did it, but she kind of created her own piano parts, and it created a really kind of rich sounding record for me. Uh, before it was very much guitar, bass, drums, and that would be it. But for me, this time, it's a, a record that I'm really proud of because there's so many different instruments going on and it's not kind of relying too much on the guitar, which is kind of what I used to do. You know, there'd just be layers and layers of electric guitar, which is great, but I kind of wanted to move away from that and test myself a little bit. And um, I think for me, like, I always feel bad saying this because I always think it, I sound a bit arrogant when I say this, so please forgive me. But um, with Love and Exile, I wanted to make a timeless record I wanted to make a record that, you know, purposefully or accidentally just doesn't latch on to any trends or anything like that. It just kind of, it has a kind of vintage quality to it. You know, I'd like to think that my aim was that someone could listen to the record and not know if it was released in 2020 or 1970, if you know what I mean. Um, so that I like to think it's kind of got a timeless quality to it. And yeah, I was kind of looking to the greats for inspiration and, um, you know, Tom Petty was definitely one. Uh, Bob Dylan was another, Bruce Springsteen. And yeah, but yeah, Counting Crows are certainly a big influence on me. I just love the way that they take, they're so proud of their influences and they wear their influences on the sleeve. And they're a real throwback, I think, musically. They kind of exist in a vacuum, you know, they came out during kind of the grunge era and their, their music's kind of endured throughout all these different trends. And they've kind of created this music that, again, has kind of got a timeless quality to it. And it's very rich sounding as well. I really like their sound because they're a rock band. But at the same time, again, they're not relying purely on the standard rock formula. You know, they've kind of got the mandolins in there. They've got their Hammond organs and stuff like that. So, yeah, they were a big influence. And, uh, yeah, the Lemonheads have always been an influence on me, believe it or not. People are always surprised when I say um, they're one of my favourite bands or, well, I suppose it's not really a band, is it? It's kind of just Evan Dando and, and various other people. But um, just as a songwriter and uh, as a performer, I just think he's one of the best out there. And uh, it's a real shame that he doesn't get the, uh, the plaudits he deserves, really. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. So maybe the Lemonheads and Counting Crows will make their first fantasy festivals. We will find out. So Sam... <laughs> How do you get into playing music then? I like to ask people that. Everyone has their own kind of stories. Tara, on my last episode, her older brother had a guitar. She picked it up and she was hooked. There have been other people with their stories. How did you find music? How did it find you? Well, it was always on. And I was always kind of obsessed to music. Um, So I always used to watch Top of the Pops without fail on a Friday evening. If I was out, it had to be recorded. And I'd be, I'd be devastated if I came home and the, uh, you know, the VCR had played up and it hadn't taped or whatever. On the Sunday, I'd always listen to the top 40 and I'd write it down in this little book I had, you know, and then the next week I'd put where it, where the song was the previous week, etc. So I was always really kind of obsessed with music and growing up during kind of like the Britpop era, you know, the radio would always be on in the house and I'd hear Oasis a lot and Pulp and Suede and Ocean Coliseum and stuff like that. So it was a great time to grow up, 
really for me because that was kind of what was on mainstream radio, which was really cool. I, I would say I first really started to get into the music that I make now, you know, rock music. Probably when I was about 12 or 13. Um, and I think, like I say, growing up and having kind of that, that Britpop music on, that kind of endured and I was still into that music. And also growing up, you know, my granddad was a big music fan. And in his car, he'd have tapes of uh, the Beatles, Billy Joel, um, Paul Simon, the Eagles. So they all had an influence on me as well. And um, yeah, when I was about 12 or 13, I started buying Enemy and Q Magazine or, you know, my mom started buying them for me. The music channels were, you know, kind of prominent at that point because um, this was kind of around the early noughties. So, you know, magazines are still a big thing and so are the music channels. You know, music videos were a big thing. So I used to park myself in front of the telly and watch um, MTV, MTV2, VH2. That was a big channel, a big influence for me. And uh, there's another channel called The Amp as well. And I used to just sit there and flick between them all. And so, you know, that was a real education that was. So just by watching these videos and reading these magazines, uh, you know, I was starting to absorb all, all, all of these different bands and these different artists and really getting into it. And yeah, I think like the, just the logical next step at that point was that, oh, I really want to play an instrument now. And yeah, I think when I was 12 or 13, kind of the bands that I really liked, uh, that I got into were, were bands like the Stone Roses and uh, Suede and... Um, yeah, kind of bands like that, and so I was looking to the guitarists. So you know, John Squire, Bernard Butler, Johnny Marr, and the Smiths. Those three guitar players were kind of like the first, my first heroes on the guitar, if you like. And um, that was kind of why I was drawn to learning the guitar. And yeah, I think I got my first guitar when I was like thirteen. And um, I um, wanted lessons, obviously. And my granddad knew someone at his work that taught guitar lessons outside of work. And he offered to teach me, and then uh, my granddad decided that he also wanted to learn. So I ended up having lessons with my granddad for the first two or three years, which was uh, which was unexpected, but uh, but really, uh, I look back on it now really fondly, you know, because I was like thirteen, my granddad was sixty. Uh, I suppose not many thirteen-year-old lads were saying, "Oh, I have a guitar lessons with my granddad," you know. <laughs> so it was quite uh, it was quite weird at the time in a way, but uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it a lot, and um, through that. I got to hear a lot of really great old school music like uh, the Everly Brothers, uh, Eddie Cochran, Buddy Holly, you know, acts like that, Johnny Cash as well. So those people that I probably wouldn't have really sought out, definitely not then, not when I was 13, 14. So again, that was like a real education as well, just, to hear, just getting to hear and getting to play songs by those artists really. And um, I, I think all of that, all of what I've just gone all of what I've just rambled on about, basically, I think pour that into like a melting pot. And I do think that's kind of what my music sounds like, really. Or, you know, all those different strands uh, and those different eras and those different artists. I think all of them, I, I can listen to some of my songs. I can hear, I can hear bits of all of them, you know. You've mentioned some pretty um, legendary artists around like classic rock and indie bands. Is that where your musical passion lies? Are there other genres that you're into? No, there isn't really any other genres, I'm afraid. I'm uh, I'm very close-minded, I am. I'm terrible. <laughs> I, I should really expand my horizons a little bit. I mean, rock music. I mean, obviously, rock's a broad spectrum, isn't it? But, you know, that kind of music, guitar-based music, I'm all over it. You know what I mean? Any era, 
I'm into and any era I've got records by artists from that era you know in my collection but in terms of like you know um, other genres like rap or metal or grime or, or pop or what have you I'm not really uh, as into I respect the formula and I respect the, the artists for what they do because you know it's to be lauded and there's some great great songs that I've heard of the years from these different genres but uh, but now I don't tend to listen to it too much uh, in my own time really I, I remember one I do remember one time I um, I had some pop music on I went to Cardiff and I had a friend in the car with me and uh, he's, he's he kind of listens to what's on the radio if that makes sense and uh, I would have felt really bad inflicting my tastes upon him for a long journey in the car so I uh, I think I put on a playlist and it was like pop songs from the noughties because I thought we well, you know this will be nostalgic and I must admit, listening to some of those songs, I was like, wow, you know, these choruses are just so amazing and so catchy and, you know, I was really envious of them. So that definitely helped me get a new fan respect for that, for that, for the genre. Because when I was younger, you know, I was quite cynical, as I'm sure a lot of lads were, and like, all oh, that music's crap, you know, and all that stuff, but definitely appreciate it more now. Yeah, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. So <laughs> let me take you back then. I presume I'm slightly older than you, so I'm presuming this happens around early 2000s or mid 2000s. Do you remember what your first album was or your first single? Do you remember buying that? Yes, the first album. I now I'm I'm going to ask for uh, for further clarity here. So is it the first album I kind of bought with my own money, or yeah. can it be? Uh, it's it's got to be the first one I bought with my own. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that, that that's fine. I can uh, the, the 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 different answers you see. Um, first album I bought with my own money. Now I've got to think carefully about this because it would have been a while ago. Hmm. It would have been like two thousand and three, two thousand and four. And if memory serves, it was Franz Ferdinand's self-titled debut album. Obviously, um, being thirteen, I was around thirteen at the time. Franz Ferdinand were such a big deal and such a, a force to be reckoned with at that point. They were, you know, they were ubiquitous and I, I was really into the, that scene, you know, that kind of second wave of mm. Britpop, Franz Ferdinand, Kaiser Chiefs, The Rakes, Block Party, all, all those acts, you know. And I, I'm pretty sure the first one I bought was Franz Ferdinand's self-titled album. I do remember I also bought Good News for People That Love Bad News by Modest Mouse around the same time as well. But I think it was Francis that I bought first. And the first single I bought my own money was many, many years earlier. And it was Pumping On Your Stereo by Supergrass. Um, I must have had some pocket money and I really liked that song and especially the video. So I remember buying that on uh, on CD single from Virgin Megastores in Warsaw. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. So let me ask you about gigs then. I'll come on to festivals first, actually. Are you a big festival goer? Did you like festivals? Yeah, I've been to a fair few. Not as many as I would like, to be honest with you. Um, just for various different reasons, really, you know, uh, money mainly. Well, there was a period when when I was kind of from age 18 to my mid-20s, I, I was kind of the only person in my friendship group that really liked indie rock music, you know, rock music. So it was never really an option for me to go to a festival unless I went on my own. So that that it never really kind of came up really as much as I would have liked to have gone, and I suppose I could have gone to some on my own really, but it wouldn't have been that fun. So it's never really a viable option really, which is a shame. But um, I've been to a few lately. So I I went to Truck Festival a few years back, 
And because um, I do a bit of music journalism on the side, I actually went there as a reviewer. So I got to, um, I got, you know, the, um, the guest list for it and, um, I got to interview some bands backstage and stuff like that. So that was a really cool experience. Um, it rained a lot as it, as it tends to do. Um, and a few weeks later, I went to Why Not Festival and that was the, that was the year that Why Not, it rained so badly that they had to cancel it all. And on the Sunday morning, everything was cancelled and everyone had to go home. So yeah, I've done a few, but my first ever gig was a festival, actually. It was, um, the festival 2004. And that was, that again, talking about education, you know, that was fantastic because, um, the headliners were the strokes. Just before the strokes, there was pixies. And, uh, throughout the day, I saw some really good acts. Um, Snow Patrol were on really, really early. I think they were like the second band on the main stage. And obviously now they'd be a lot further up the bill. And at one point they were they probably headlined that festival. Um, I saw the Frills, who were an amazing band, and uh, again I don't think they get the praise they deserve because they were such an awesome group. And they were they were probably the best band I saw at the festival. To be honest, I thought they were fantastic. And I saw Badly Drawn Boy as well, who was terrible, I should say. Uh, um, and I saw Nerd as well. I saw Pharrell Williams and. Uh, and the, and those guys and that they were really really good as well and again like you were saying earlier about appreciating and liking other genres um again seeing seeing that live they were they were great and such charisma on stage but um but yeah so my first ever gig was a festival very cool v v festival gets mentioned quite a lot on this podcast it's a great festival or it was a great festival it's gone down a slightly different route to what i used to remember it as being yeah so what about gigs then have you got any gigs for you that stand out that you look back on and you just go that was just unbelievable and that can be you as a music fan that can be you as a music artist as well i think for me seeing paul mccartney that was a really incredible experience. So I saw him, it was 10 years ago now in Manchester, and just to be able to see a Beatle live and to hear those songs performed was, was amazing. And to be in the presence of, you know, such a gifted and legendary songwriter and performer, that was um, pretty incredible. I would say seeing uh, other acts like um, Paul Simon I got to see, which was 10 years ago as well, that was, that was an amazing performance as well. I've seen Elton John, Billy Joel. I've seen some really, really, really legendary and influential people. And uh, again, when you see them, you can kind of, you, you realise just why they've been at the, uh, the top of the music pantheon for decades, just through the sheer professionalism of it. Um, but there's been quite a few different acts that I've seen over the years that have um, that have left a mark on me. And some of them have been quite surprising. I remember a few years back, I saw um, Goo Goo Dolls in Birmingham and... Um, I am a fan of theirs, but um, I'm not a, a massive um, zealot of, of their music. But um, they were fantastic, and I was just totally blown away by their performance. Um, they just got it bang on. Uh, for me, you know, live performance is a tricky thing. I think you don't want to hear the songs exactly as they're played on the on the record, because otherwise you might as well be at home with the CD turned on really loud. You know, that's what I've always thought. But at the same time, we don't want them to be too different because, you know, then you're a bit like, oh, which is one of the reasons, to be honest, why I've never been too bothered about seeing Bob Dylan, just because I respect what he does live, but I just don't know if I'd enjoy hearing a version of Blowing in the Wind that just sounds absolutely nothing like Blowing in the Wind, you know. So I think you've got to get the balance right. And I think that's the same with, like, 
the stage presence. I think you don't want too much talking or too much banter or too much other stuff going on. But at the same time, we don't want it just to be them playing the songs and hardly any talking in between. Um, you know, again, I think it's tricky to get the balance right. But when I saw Google Dolls, maybe it's because I went in with no expectations, I don't know, but I just remember coming away thinking, wow, you know, they're just those two things I mentioned to you then, they've got both perfectly. They've just got them both really well done. And yeah, and again, like, like you said about being a musical artist, I think when I go and watch these gigs... Um, you, you learn, you know, it's not just, uh, it's not just that you're there for fun. When you're a performer, you, you do look and think, what can I take away from this? Even if it's something, you know, what not to do or something that, that you do and then you see someone else do it and think, oh, actually, I don't think that's going to work. But yeah, that, that, those people, I think, were incredible and were amazing to see. And when I was reading up on you, Sam, I saw that you've supported quite a few decent acts gig-wise, like Lemonheads, Blue Tones, We Are Scientists, Little Comets. Yeah, yeah, I've been very, very lucky over the years to get some some really great support. It's like, like that. It's um, it always feels amazing when you um, because some I think oftentimes it's kind of been it's been at me that's kind of breached the subject, if you know what I mean, and kind of said, oh, you know. Uh, so would you reckon there'd be any chance I was getting a support slot? Um, and then you're kind of thinking, now nah, it won't happen, you know. It's worth throwing my hat in the ring, but it's not going to happen. And then when you do get the email from the promoter or the venue saying, yep, we're all good to go, it just feels incredible. You know, you, you kind of have this thing in the back of your head that you're really, really hoping that, you know, it will happen. But 75% of you saying, nah, it won't, it won't. But most of the time it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go anyway as a punter, definitely. So I'm not going to be left disappointed because worst case scenario, I'll be there watching as a fan. But no, it's, it, it was so incredible to, to play with those, with those guys and uh, I learnt a lot, really. Yeah, I bet. Some fantastic artists there. So like I said at the top of the podcast, this Fantastical is all about getting our guests to play at their fantasy festival. So Sam will get to choose any five acts, one of whom must play one of their studio albums in full. And also Sam gets to pick an encore, which all five acts will perform together at the end of his fantasy festival. So it's very simple. Five acts, they take five time slots. So for example... In the last episode of the podcast, I had Tara Lynch on. She collated her Lynchfest Fantastival. She held it in Belgium at the Grass Pop um, scene. She had, in her opening slot, she had Ghost. Uh, in her super second slot, she went for Weezer, who got picked for their first ever Fantasy Festival. Great band, Weezer. I love a bit of Weezer. In the Midway <laughs> Madness slot, she had Megadeth. So a Megadeth uh, debut as well. And she selected them to play their album Countdown to Extinction. In a pre-headline act slot, she picked the Scorpions, but we banned Wind of Change. We didn't want it. She wasn't interested in that. We moved on. And then in our headline <laughs> slot, she went for Black Sabbath, who only made their second appearance at one of these fantasticals. And for her encore, she picked Hocus Pocus by Focus. So a very, very song. <laughs> brilliant song. Amazing. It always brings a smile to my face. So that was Tara's lineup. So very simple. You can pick any genre, any era, and away we go. So a very important question to get uh, a name and a venue for your fantasy festival. So Sam... <laughs> What are you going to call your fantasy festival? Oh, this, uh, this is a tough question here, isn't it? Um, I'm going to have to just say something like, uh, I don't know, Bastardbury, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
we can call it that. Not a problem. So Bastard Berry <laughs> is the type at all of your fantasy festival. Sam, you can hold it anywhere you like. We can hold it in the Midlands. We can hold it in New York. We can go across the pond to Europe. We can go to Italy, where they're currently probably celebrating uh, a football <laughs> win. Although we probably shouldn't talk about that too much on this podcast. So Sam, where would you like to hold your fantasy festival? I tell you what, let's uh, let's let's hold it at where I first my saw fe- saw my first festival. So let's go for Western Park in Staffordshire and Wolverhampton because that's where the festival used to be, and uh, means it was the first place I saw a festival. Let's go for that one. Love it, great choice, great choice. So we've got our title, we've got our venue. So before we move on to the five acts, you've already spoken a bit about other acts, lots of acts, lots of classic artists. <laughs> Is there anyone who you want to kind of mention who's, you know, you love, but for some reason or another doesn't make it into that five? Yeah, I, I, I will, yeah. I'm probably going to say, sorry, I'm just thinking there. I'll probably say the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones were one I was going to pick, but uh, I think I'm going to have to have them as uh, on first reserve. <laughs> I'm not sure how, how happy they would be with that, but... <laughs> But yeah, the Rolling Stones was one I was going to consider. But yeah, they're, they're, they've just missed the cut, I'm afraid. <laughs> Surprisingly, they've only ever made one fantasy festival lineup. It was, it was one of my kind of, I guess, preconceived notions about this podcast that would be full of like the Beatles, Stone, all those classic acts. But the Beatles have only been picked twice. Stones have only been picked once. So it's really interesting to see which way these fantasy festivals go and the way they kind of get people's mm. list going and aren't the obvious choices. So let's get cracking in. It's two o'clock. Bastard Berry sold out. Western Park is rammed. It's time for your first act to open your fantasy festival. So who are you going to have opening your fantasy festival, Sam? I'm going to have the Subways. <laughs> Great band, the Subways. I think they've been spoken about a little bit on the podcast. They've never been picked for a fantasy festival. So Sam, why why have you picked them? Why are they opening up your fantasy festival? Sometimes I think into these things too much, you know, because I remember when I did a podcast a few months back and I had to pick my ultimate five-a-side team. And I, I went quite analytical in it. You know what I mean? I was thinking of, well, I want one defender at the back, so what one defender can cover those angles. And you, you know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't just pick five awesome players. I, I had to pick five players that I thought would play well in a five-a-side team together. And it's kind of the same with this one. I was thinking, okay, what bands have I seen at festivals, specifically festivals, that are really, really good? And for me, the Subways are one of the best festival bands I've ever seen. Um, and they'll be a great they'll be great to come on early afternoon i think because purely for their energy i just think the um, the amount of energy that they have is uh, incredible and not only are their songs quite you know um uh, full on kind of rock songs just their stage presence is amazing as well they they're always moving they're always jumping around there's a real kind of infectious energy um coming from the stage and that transcends into the audience as well and I've seen the Subways three or four times now, and I saw them at God Iver Festival a few years back. And again, like I say, just the um, just the way they kind of whipped the crowd up was was amazing. And uh, but like I said earlier about just getting it right, you know, it's tricky to hit that sweet spot. You know, you don't you don't have to be clapping your hands every minute, but you know what I mean. They kind of they got they got they got it just right. And um, I've always been a fan of the Subways, and I've always been a fan of. Um, a fan, a fan of their music. I think um, they're able to make kind of melodic music, but with a real kind of hard edge. Mm. Um, particularly that All or Nothing album. I mean, I, I remember buying that when I was seventeen, eighteen, and 
it's still a record I really like today. Um, but I think any festival worth their salt should always consider booking the subways. Um, uh, Billy Billy Lunn is a great great frontman and a, a really underrated guitarist as well because you know they only play as a trio and he's he's able to kind of carry that the weight of being the only guitarist and with, with real aplomb and um, Charlotte Coop is a brilliant brilliant bass player and her, her harmonies are, her harmonies are kind of what give those hard songs a, like a sweetness to them um, and she's her, her energy and her charisma on stage is is amazing so. Yeah, the subways for me as as the uh, as the openers. Great choice. The subways make their fantastical debut and they open Bastardberry. They'll play from two till three o'clock. We'll take a half hour break after the subways, so we're going to get the crowd in a very very uh, good state and ready for the next one. So half past three, time for your super seconds, act, Sam. Who are you going to have in your super second slot? Well. Can this person be my full album choice? Yeah, or absolutely. Your fantasy festival, Sam. Whatever you say goes. Okay. We'll lead you well, on. Well, I'm, 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 I'm kind of feeling after the subways, uh, you know, let's say it's not rained. Let's say it's boiling weather and uh, people are needing just a, a bit longer to get a bit of a breather and recover. Because I remember when I saw the subways at Godiva, honestly, I felt like all my organs had been <laughs> moved to the back of my body because... The mosh pit was unbelievable, and I was at the front as well. So honestly, it was uh, it was great, but it was painful. So I, I definitely felt like I needed an hour or so just to recover from that. So my second choice is going to be Joni Mitchell, and Joni Mitchell has very kindly agreed to play Blue in full. <laughs> Great choice. So, Joni Mitchell, a new name on the Fantastical set list, never been selected before. Blue, I guess, is one of, well, not I guess, is one of the all time classic albums. Obviously, I work at HMV. The vinyl for Blue is still very much in demand. So much in demand, she's just re released it, I think, or as part of a box set. So, so why Joni Mitchell? Well, touching what you just said, actually, because um, Blue, Blue has always been one of my favourite records. I think it's such an interesting album. The chord changes, the guitar tunings, the uh, the melodies are, are just totally unique, and such clever, pithy, observational lyrics that uh, that for me kind of cement Joni Mitchell as one one of the world's best songwriters. And I think um, I don't again, I just don't think Joni Mitchell really gets the full credit she deserves because she's such, like I say, an individual performer, and for me, she's totally unrivaled in what she does. And um, I've always loved Blue, but um, as you said, recently it's been reissued for the 50th anniversary. <laughs> yeah. And I listened to it again and it just blew me away again, really just hearing, like I say, such an esoteric record. Um, but yeah, I just, I just really, really love the, the album and, um, I, I love the way she plays guitar and, um, love the way she sings. But like I say, more than that, I think she's a real, a very, very intelligent singer songwriter and, uh, yeah, I don't know how happy she'd be to fly over to Wolverhampton and play at three o'clock, but uh, but you never know. <laughs> she she signed up straight away as soon as the offer was on the table. She signed up, and a very influential artist. You know, you go back fifty years and to singer songwriters these days who you know cite that as a classic and influential album that I don't think can ever be underestimated. So a great choice there, Joni Mitchell flies in to play Wolverhampton Blue in full. She'll take your super second slot. From half three to half four. We'll take another half hour break. So two acts down, three acts to go. Uh, tough act to follow, Joni Mitchell, especially playing the whole Blue album. So who are you going to have in your Midway Madness slot playing from five till six, Sam? You know what? I feel like I'm on a roll now. and I've picked two people <laughs> that have never been on 
Fantastical have a nice so I'm, I'm hoping to go for free here and I'm going to go for the Grateful Dead. Ah, uh, the Grateful Dead, you've hit the hat trick. So three new options. <laughs> the Grateful Dead haven't really been spoken about much, although are one of those bands that if people are into them, they're into them. If you see what I mean, as far as I know. Yeah. Um. So tell us a bit about the Grateful Dead and why, why are you into them and and why why are they in your midway madness slot? Well, I'm. I'm kind of thinking, you know, by this point, people are feeling nice and chilled from Joni Mitchell, but at the same time, you know, they're awake, they've had a few drinks, and, uh, you know, I don't want to advocate any uh, use of other intoxicants, but (laughs) I'm guessing guessing at a festival by this point, a few people are going to be feeling quite merry and quite happy and, you know, on a different level. And for me, I think um, Grateful Dead would be kind of perfect to play at this point in the day, you know, um, nice afternoon, kind of summery vibe. And um, yeah, it's true what you say. I think you're either into them or you're not into them. There's no kind of in between with them. Uh, but I think as a live band, they they were so well renowned for, for making it a real experience because um, obviously people would follow them all around. You know, let's say in America, people would follow them all around the country Deadheads, to watch right? them. The deadheads. Dead yeah. Yeah. And obviously, you wonder why. Like, I mean, the first question I thought to myself was, well, why? You know, what's so great about this? Why would you go, you know, across the country just to watch one band every night? And then you realize, well, no gig was ever the same. No song was ever the same. You know, every gig was a different experience. And um, I really admire them for that. And I think. Although I said earlier about like Bob Dylan, for example, that the way he changed the songs, I'm not sure I would like it personally. I think with Grateful Dead, I haven't got as strong a connection to their songs as I have with Dylan. So I would be able to watch it, I think, with kind of that wide-eyed kind of naivety of someone that's not loved their records, if you know what I mean. Um, so I think it would be a really great experience for, for me and for a festival audience. Um, so I think that'd be really cool. Um, and in terms of their music, I'm a big fan. I mean, um, American Beauty is one of the best albums ever made, in my opinion. And Box of Rain, some of the best songs ever made. So I would, I would have to put in the contract that as a stipulation, I've got to play that song, but I've got to play it like how it is on the record for me. Yeah, otherwise I could go into some <laughs> kind of half-hour jam and eat into half of their set list. Half of <laughs> <Yeah>. their set. <laughs> so the Grateful Dead make their fantastical debut as well. They play for your Midway Madness slot, five till six. The Deadheads will be out in force. I'm sure there'll be a certain aroma going through the venue <laughs> as they play. We'll take another half-hour break. So three down, two to go. Your pre-headline act going to get an hour and a half to play. They're going to give them to half six to eight o'clock. So, Sam, who's going to take your pre-headline slot? This was, again, a tough one, I must admit, to uh, to decide. But I've gone for uh, Oasis. Oasis. So, Oasis were another band when I started this podcast who I thought would just be picked pretty much every week it turns out this is only i think the third time they've been picked on the fantastical podcast yeah only the third time they've been picked and a massively influential band of my generation and yours i think as well by the sounds of it so why why are you going with oasis again it's one of those where i was thinking pragmatically about it and thinking okay what 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 bands are going to sound great at a festival and i realized with uh, Johnny Mitchell and um, Grateful Dead, I'd obviously pick Tax kind of for a certain vintage, and the Subways are a, a kind of a noughties band. So I thought, well, I'm going to try and get something from kind of the nineties now, make it you know make a cover every uh, every year or I can think of. Um, so yeah, that was one reason. But um, I mean, for me, I mean, Oasis, their back catalogue is just incredible, isn't it? Really, I mean, the first two albums are superb, and I know people love. 
it's it's quite cool with Oasis, I suppose, because you know a lot of people have a lot of love for Be Here Now, but then some people like Standing on the Shoulder of Giants, and you know I think the albums after What's the Story, they're acquired tastes, but maybe in the good way, where some people seem to really love them and have a kind of personal connection to them, but other people don't so much. But um, I read an interview with Noel Gallagher the other day, and um, it, it hit now on the head for me because they kind of spoke to him about you know consistency in Oasis and uh, you know at how be here now kind of began that that kind of decline in quality uh, and he and to be fair to him you know he, he did agree you know in terms of album quality yeah you know they didn't stand up to the first two records but you know he said look at the singles after those records you, you know you look at uh let's say hindu time stop crying your heart out little by little they're just off one album and most bands and artists will kill to have three songs like that in their entire career and they come off one album that's considered crap you know yeah. And he made a really good point for me. It's like, well, you know, yes, the quality did decline a little bit, but there were still some absolutely amazing songs in um, in Oasis's back catalogue after Morning Glory. And obviously we haven't even spoken about the B-sides, have we? So, I mean, just for that sheer body of work, I mean, an hour and a half, imagine the set that they could conjure up in, in that time. It would, you know, it would just be wall-to-wall classics, I'm sure. And, you know, for me, I'm not really that fussed about Oasis getting back together. But that, I know that sounds bad because there's a lot of people that really, really would like to see them. But I, I kind of think it's done. You know, I, I, I don't know if I'd lose a bit of respect for them if they did get back together. Because I think Noel's making really interesting music now. And, you know, he's obviously pushing himself creatively, which is nice to see. And obviously Liam's got doing really well, you know, if he's solo venture. So I think it'd be a shame if they did get back together. And I don't think it would be like it was now anyway, you know. But uh, if I was going to pick a band from that era for an hour and a half set, I can't look past Oasis, really. Great choice, Sam. Very well explained. I I like what you were saying about, you know, not Noel and Liam. I feel, I feel a certain affinity to Noel and not so much Liam. And I don't know why, why that is. Um, I saw Noel about two years ago at the London Palladium in a really small gig for Noel. I was very close. And he played the perfect set list. It wasn't the most obvious set list, but he played the perfect set list. So talk tonight, <laughs> stop crying your heart out. He got the he got the mix exactly right between solo and Oasis. But the Oasis stuff probably wasn't the most obvious, but suited him the best. So fantastic band. I love them as well. Only their third fantastical appearance and they are pre headlining Bastard Berry. So Four acts are done. We've only got one act left. Your headline act, they're going to get two and a half hours to play. They're going to follow Oasis. So I've got a little hunch who I think it might be, actually. And I'll write it down before you tell me. And then I'll see if I'm right <laughs> based on what I've seen on your social media. So who's going to who's gonna headline your fantasy festival, Sam? I think you're going to be right uh, with what you've written down because I've gone for the Beatles. i gone for the Beatles. I actually had R.E.M. written down. So the Beatles... Oh. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny you should say R.E.M. because it was either going to be R.E.M. or Oasis for um, that second slot, but I went for Oasis. But yeah, uh, it was a really good guess, man, because obviously R.E.M. are a band I love, so yeah, it was close. (laughs) R.E.M., again, another band who I thought would be picked a lot, only been picked once on the Fantastical, so they will have to wait for their second appearance. So the Beatles are going to headline your fantasy festival. I guess it's... a a quite obvious question, but why why would you have the Beatles headlining your fantasy festival? Well, for me, they're the best band that ever that ever lived. Really, I just think 
the amount of songs they've got is crazy and the way they kind of pushed and evolved the sound was really commendable and um yeah i just i just love kind of everything they've done really and uh, i think you know for me when i heard the word fantasy in the festival i thought well you know what i'm going to go for broke and uh and pick the beatles is there any particular era of the i mean they're such they weren't actually together for that long which is ridiculous no, really considering no. how much output there was but is there a certain period you would want them to focus on more or do you just want it to be like just the greatest hits from a to z my favorite album of all time is revolver um, so that album by the Beatles is one I, I hold in high regard. So that particular era, uh, I think is, is kind of my favorite, really. Um, I just, I mean, all, all of their albums are, are good, but Revolver always kind of remains kind of my favorite record by them. Great stuff. Great stuff. So the Beatles make their third fantastical appearance. They've only ever headlined fantasy festivals, so no one's picked them when they've not been headlining. So the Beatles <laughs> will bring your fantasy festival to a close. They'll play for two and a half hours, and at 11 o'clock, they will welcome back on stage Oasis, The Grateful Dead, Joni Mitchell, and The Subways, and they can play any song that you would instruct them to play to close your fantasy festival. So, Sam, what... <laughs> this is I love this question. Sam, what song are you going to have all those five acts play together? It is definitely going to be Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. <laughs> Great stuff. So we've not really mentioned Floyd. So why why that song by Pink Floyd? Why are you having that as your encore? Well, again, I was going to have Pink Floyd as my headliner. And I do love Pink Floyd, but I'm, I really love Melody. You see, I can like bands with Melody. And although I love Pink Floyd, obviously they're a little bit experimental at times. And I think between them and the Beatles, because I love melody a lot i was i was always going to gravitate towards the beatles but um wish you were here is one of kind of my favorite ever songs you know one of my, i love that song i think it's one of the best songs ever written so i thought if i can include them in some way and include this song in some way i will so yeah i just think it's a great song and um i think when you when you know that all, all of those acts you've mentioned are kind of from different eras i suppose for the most part but i think they would all appreciate uh wish you were here and appreciate its quality so hopefully it would work well i'll be interested to hear it same with all of those guys playing here <laughs> i think it would either be really good or really bad i'm not sure <laughs> i think they'd make it work i think there's so much talent i think they'd make it work i think joni mitchell would add a lovely backing vocal to that <laughs> yeah. um and i think that'd be fantastic so wish you were here brings bastard berry to a close so let's lock this in then so you can still change your mind Sam, up to the point where we lock it in. So we've got Bastbury taking place at Western Park, Staffordshire, Wolverhampton, opening the festival. We have the Subways in your Super Seconds Act. We've got Joni Mitchell, and she's going to play her album Blue in full. She'll be followed by The Grateful Dead in your Midway Madness slot, followed by Oasis pre-headlining, and the Beatles will close your Fantasy Festival headlining it. And for the encore, all five will play Wish You Were Here. Sam, you happy to lock that incredible Fantasy Festival in? <laughs> Yes, let's do it. Let's go for it. Love it. So that is Bastard Berry done. It's in the vaults. And that is 58 wrapped up. So before we finish in Sam, obviously Boris has been on. He says it's back to business as normal for most things uh, in the coming weeks. So what do the next couple of months look like for you? Uh, Good. Really exciting. Um, Got some gigs lined up, which I'm really, really looking forward to. Um, So I'm performing in in August. I've got... um, a festival appearance at the Wire Forest, uh, playing with um, playing with Perry Manning actually, uh, which will be great because I've spoken to Perry a lot, but not actually met him in person. 
uh, or seen him live yet, so that will be a really great double whammy for me. Um, Alex Om is playing as well, who's another guy that I really respect and look up to. So that'd be a great experience. Um, then I've got um, a few gigs here and there, um, kind of dotted around the UK. I've got one in Manchester, which will be great in November. And, and a few other uh, bits and bobs. Um, so me and the, the live band, we're um, going to be on this YouTube show called Raw Sound TV in a few weeks, uh, playing a few songs, which will be, which will be really, really great and uh, uh, really cool to do. So yeah, there's a lot of, lot of different opportunities coming up, which I'm really excited about and um, just hoping to kind of get a few more, really. Um, I started kind of putting the fevers out about gigs and about more opportunities and um, yeah, just hoping to get a few more booked in because um, me and the live band, we've been practicing for a while now and uh, got a nice little set list together and um, it's a real pleasure to play with them. I, I mean, I like, I, I do solo acoustic gigs too, so... You know, I try to make myself as available as I can. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I'm hoping just for some more gigs. But uh, at the moment, what we've got booked in looks great. And, uh, yeah, just really thankful to everybody that's given me a chance. It means a lot. And if anyone's listening to this podcast and is thinking, this Sam chap sounds like an awfully nice fellow. He's got a great <laughs> fantasy festival. And Steve spoke about him so greatly at the beginning. How do I find him on social media? So, Sam, how are you Are you on social media? And how do people find you if you are? Yep, yeah, I am. Um I think my handle is the same across the board, really. So on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it's all Sam Lambeth Music. So all one word, all lowercase. So it's L-A-M-B-E-T-H. Uh, I'm on Spotify as well, obviously. Uh, just type Sam Lambeth in. Hopefully I appear. Uh, I remember before, I was actually in a band before called Quinn, which is obviously quite a common name. And unfortunately for us, there was a, a rapper called Quinn. And for some reason or another, our Spotify's merged. And <laughs> so his songs were on our Spotify and vice versa. So I remember I started a job around that, around the time that Quinn was active. And someone asked me about my music and said, oh, can I listen to you? And I sent them a Spotify link. And the next day I was like, oh, wow, Quinn sent amazing. You know, um, wasn't expecting it to sound like that. You know, that rap you did about bitches wanting to sit on your dick. <laughs> Because that, that, that's literally what it was. Like, it was like this rap stuff about, you know, this bloke who had a lot of hoes, as, as they say, which obviously is absolutely nothing like uh, nothing like my life or nothing like my songs. So so that was a bit of a crazy time. But yeah, but now on Spotify, if you just type Sam Lambeth in, I come in and there's no there's no rapping. <laughs> Unfortunately, or not yet anyway. And in <laughs> yeah. terms of, if someone doesn't have Spotify, are you on all the other streaming, like your uh, Amazons and your... Uh, Apple yeah. Music. Yeah, across the board, I'm on, I'm on all of those as well. And like I say, if you type Sam Lambeth in, hopefully I should uh, should pop up. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. So that is it. Thank you to everyone for listening to the 58th episode of the Fantastical Podcast. And if you're listening for the first time on iTunes, please subscribe, give the podcast a review. And if you're listening on other platforms, give the podcast a follow. And don't forget to recommend this to all of your families and friends. Sam is on social media. We are also on social media. We're on Twitter. So give us a follow at Fantastical P if you don't already. And if you're not on Twitter and you want to get in contact with the podcast, you can drop an email to fantasticalpodcast at outlook.com. Unfortunately, we can't play music on podcasts, but what we can do is we can collate playlists. So I'll get some tracks for Sam and make a playlist on Spotify and whack those into the episode description of the episode 
you are now listening to to enjoy some great tracks by the bands that Sam has picked. So uh, all that's left to say is a massive thank you, Sam, for being my 58th podcast friend and guest. How did you find playing your fantasy festival? Great, I loved it. Um, it's really, really difficult, I must admit. I don't know if, um, how the other artists feel, but even as I said the person's name in the back of my head, I was thinking, oh, now I've said that, I'm not sure. I no. mean, particularly the REM one, I must admit, I was like, have I made the right choice? It's, it's bloody hard, I tell you. This is, I, I, I need, uh, I need limitations, you know what I mean? No. When, when it's like a free fall, I, 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 it takes me so long to pick, but, um, but no, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks again for having me. Absolute pleasure. And I wish you all the best. And like I said at the beginning of the pod, if you haven't listened to Love and Exile yet by Sam, go and switch it on. As soon as you stop listening to this, you will not <laughs> Thank you. You will not be sorry. So episode 59 coming up next week. So please make sure to join me. But until then, stay safe, my fantastical friends. And please continue to spread the word. And that word is fantastical. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.